Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Welcome back to the Good Fight Radio Show. I am excited for this special edition as we will be interviewing Eric Hernandez, who is the lead apologist for Texas Baptist and works alongside Leighton Flowers. He's done a number of debates online, whether it's about the soul, regarding atheists, skeptics, agnostics. I've seen him all over the place online, and I'm excited for you guys to get to know Eric Hernandez today. So, Eric, thank you so much for joining the Good Fight Radio Show. I'm honored to be on the show. Thank you for having me. And I think this is a great time to transition more to, and I hate to call it this, but an apologetic for apologetics. So I'd love for Eric to describe just the biblical need role and if there is a mandate for these type of apologetics. Yeah, great, great question. And and, and I'm glad you, you know, you, you kind of uh, spoke to the parents there. Um, and, and I'm sure there's even pastors and youth pastors listening because, uh, um, and this segues into what you just asked you know i've had i've had people uh, even some youth pastors say later on something like you know well, that that's a lot to learn that's too much to learn um as if christianity is an intellectually lazy uh, uh lifestyle and discipline <laughs> and we'll get we'll get into that in a little bit I, I like what frank turk once said and it's great when you can quote someone else because if the person listening doesn't like it you can always say well i'm just quoting this guy i didn't say it uh he said christians don't get brownie points for being stupid <laughs> yeah, amen um, to that. And, uh, but but you know, just I had one youth pastor say, "Well, Mike, when I was talking about my experiences in college, like I just said, and and statistics do show that about three out of five or three out of every four young people when they go to college will either leave the church or lose their faith in the first year, which means the church is not doing their job as the church to equip the body of Christ to be prepared." Um, I think it was a, an article in the Babylon Bee I once read that said something like the church is going to send their first college student off uh, and say a five minute prayer so that she'll be prepared to answer questions that she's never heard and respond to arguments that she's never been equipped to deal with. <laughs> but we're going to say a five minute prayer and have a graduation ceremony and send them off to the, the biggest spiritual warfare battle run that they'll ever encounter in their life. Um, it was funny and yet sad because of how true it was. <clears throat> now, uh, one youth pastor said, well, you know, my kids don't ask those kind of questions. And, and it, it, I'm not going to lie, it really bothered me, not, not because I took it personal, but because of uh, quite a few things. One, because, well, let me tell you what I told her, and you can pray for me if you think I need it, because I do. <laughs> I, said, I, said, I said, with all due respect, I said, I can assure you, your students have these kind of questions. And it's not a, a question of whether or not they have these questions. It's a matter of whether or not they're coming to you with these questions, because mm -hmm. I can assure you they have these questions. And if they're not coming to you with these questions, then it says more about you than it does them. Maybe they don't feel safe asking you this. Maybe you yeah. like me, how I've been in my experiences, I've been told to not in these words, but basically shut up and stop asking questions. And I know how detrimental that is. Yeah. I, I went to go speak at a church once, 
<clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> and uh, I met with the pastor beforehand because it was someone else that invited me, but the pastor w- wanted to meet with me and have lunch prior to me speaking at their youth service. And he pretty much said he didn't really believe in apologetics. He didn't think it was necessary or needed. And, uh, you know, he even said, you know, maybe it's okay for a Bible study, but not behind the pulpit. You know, I don't think we need that. Yet. Well, I wasn't going to argue with him. <laughs> um, you know, he's a pastor and, uh, um, you know, I was going to be gone the next day. If, if So if he didn't like it, you know, he didn't have to deal with me anymore. Uh, <laughs> and I wasn't there to speak on apologetics. I was just going to give a, a traditional, quote, theological sermon, if you will, even though there's apologetics in that as well. Amen. But um, in the introduction I did when I was introduced as an apologist, and I I briefly mentioned the kind of things I do, but then I said, you know, if you have questions about these things, talk to me after the service. Well, after the service, this young man, probably about 17 years old, comes like almost rushing towards me with his mom, like almost hand in hand, and like stops right in front of me. And he's like, tell her, tell her you said we can ask questions. And my first thought was, Oh gosh, what did I say? Did I say something wrong? And 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 then and then he and then he he said no, tell her. And I was like, well, yeah, th- yeah, it's fine. And, and she looked at him and kind of made a face, then looked at me, and said, well, as long as you're okay with it, I'll let you two talk. And she walked off. And I'm going to try not to choke up here because I usually do when I tell this story. <clears throat> um. So. I, I was kind of just thrown back by the whole situation. And I was like, mm. so what was that about? And he basically said, well, I'm an atheist. Mm. He said, I don't, I don't. <clears throat> he said, I don't want to come to church, but my mom forces me to. So I come, but I've had questions. And when I started coming, I would ask the other students in my youth group, the questions I had and no one could answer them. And they said, well, just ask the pastor, ask the youth pastor. He said, but then I got the same thing from them. And it got to the point to where they basically said, if you're going to come to church, you have to stop asking questions, stop bothering the other kids in the youth group, and just sit there and listen. And again, not these words, but pretty much said, sit there and shut up. Mm-hmm. And then he looked at me almost with, <clears throat> try not to choke up here. I think someone's cutting onions in this room. <laughs> uh, and and he, he looked at me and says, but that doesn't apply to you because you don't come here. And you said that we could ask you questions. And my mom just had to make sure that that's what you said. So can I ask you questions? Wow. And for the next hour, at least, I mean, we just talked. The questions he had were great questions. I mean, I mean, I even said, what books are you reading? And sure enough, it was the prominent atheists, Richard Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, Sam Harris. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I said, you know, no, no kid your age you know, thinks like this. Obviously, there's some influence going on. And. Of course, it was by the people he was reading. And I mean, it, it, it got to the point to where the person who had the keys to the church pretty much said, hey, you guys got to leave because I got to get home to my wife and kids. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the next morning I had breakfast with the pastor. And <clears throat> as we were having breakfast, I said, pastor, you know, I, I know yesterday you said you didn't think apologetics had a need behind the pulpit. I said, but, you know, you have an atheist in your youth group. And he kind of chuckled and said, yeah, that, that's so-and-so. We're praying for him. And I said, with all due respect, you know it's going to take more than that. Now, now, this was a small city in Texas, a very small town uh, as where everyone knows each other. And I said, this kid is so influential and smart that if you lose him, he's going to take about half that youth group with him by the mm. time he gets in his 20s. 
Yeah. I said, you know, it's your church and I wanted to be respectful of that. And I told him I would be willing to continue the conversation if he wanted to. But again, I wanted to be respectful. It's your church. So I handed him my card and I said, here's my card. If you're comfortable with it, would you give this to him so we can keep talking? That was about eight years ago. <clears throat> Never heard from the kid. Mm -hmm. Don't know if he even got my card. I, I don't know what the pastor did with it. Wow. Here's an example of, of how important this is. Uh, um, and, and to the parents, pastors, youth pastors listening, please allow them to ask questions and have responses for that. Um, help build people up in this way. To, to kind of segue into what you're asking, uh, the, the typical verse used for apologetics is 1 Peter 3.15, <clears throat> which is be ready to give an answer to those who ask you for the hope that is in you. And that word answer is the Greek word apologia, which is literally where we get the word apologetics, which means a defense. So the Bible is literally mandating that when someone asks you for why you believe what you believe, you are biblically mandated to give a defense of the Christian faith. Um, so it's not a question of whether or not should I engage in apologetics. It's really a question of Am I engaging in good apologetics or bad mm -hmm. apologetics? Because there are bad apologetics out there. Uh, now, my favorite verse to go to, however, is the greatest commandment. They approached Christ and they said, which of the commandments is the greatest? And he said to love the Lord God with all your heart, uh, with all your heart, your mind, your soul and your strength. Now, I think the modern day church does a fair job <clears throat> of loving God with their heart. You know, that was seen as a seat of, uh, of the emotions. You know, we get emotional at the altar, we cry, we lift our hands, and that, that is good, that is great, that's part of it. And I think the modern-day church does a fair job of loving God with our strength. You know, we volunteer, uh, 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 we pull out chairs for service, you know, we, we contribute to the Baptist potlucks, you know, and we volunteer our time, and that's great, that is part of the greatest commandment. But then there's loving God with the mind. And... and without trying to point fingers at anybody, I don't think it's any one person's fault, but you can look at the history of the church and see where we dropped the ball in that area. And we have to ask ourselves, are we really loving God with our mind? Like, like the apostles did, like the church fathers did, like, like the early church did. Yeah. And long story short, we're not. Uh, when you, when you look at <clears throat> around uh, um, the council in Nicaea around this time when there were, hammering out certain doctrines, because we have to keep in mind that Christianity was, was a new religion, and I mean religion in the technical sense, literal sense of the term. Um, I've always said your, your theology encompasses your beliefs about God, and your religion encompasses your actions towards God. Hmm. So if, yeah. if you want to get rid of bad religion, you have to get rid of bad theology, <laughs> because the reason for which the Twin Towers 9-11 attack happened was because these people believed that they were doing something for God, which means their religion was not only wrong, but harmful because their theological beliefs were wrong and harmful. Um, so it's not, it's saying that Christianity is a relationship, not a religion doesn't solve the problem. It is a religion in the technical sense. It's Amen. like saying, it's, it's like saying, you know what? I'm not in a marriage with my wife. I'm in a relationship. Well, well, that, that's, I mean, <laughs> that's good. That, that is, that's, that's what a good. marriage encompasses, right? Um, <clears throat> so, it, so we have to we have to know what to do with these things, and this is where apologetics comes in. Now, going back to the Council of Nicaea, they're hammering out these doctrines, 
and they're coming to the doctrine of the Trinity and they're discussing these things. And, and the discussion, you know, it got deep, it, it got heavy, you know, well, you know, we have one God, but you know, there's father, son, Holy spirit. Well, you know, how, how do we articulate this? And okay, well, well, we can say that there's, there's one, what, but three who's right. There's three persons, but one God. And, and okay, what about Christ? You know, well, well, Christ in the incarnation, well, he had a dual nature. Well, what is a nature? What is a person? And they were they're hammering out these doctrines because in their mind, Christianity being a relatively new religion, they were having to present this in a persuasive fashion, which was literally apologetics. You look in uh, the book of Acts, all of, most of that you have apologetics, Paul engaging with uh, Sadducees, Pharisees, Jews. Um, with 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 philosophers, with Greeks, with poets. Acts 17. Um, he does this for three months. Uh, not too much later, he rents out the the hall of Tyrannus, school of Tyrannus, and for two years he he's talking <laughs> to these people, persuading them. Uh, people are being converted. Um, and and back to the council, and I see they're they're hammering out these heavy hard doctrines because in their mind they thought that if we're going to be representatives of God and be accurate and have integrity then what we believe has to be biblical, it has to be logically consistent, and it has to be philosophically coherent. In other words, they were aiming to love God with their mind as part of fulfilling the greatest commandment. Because let me say this, we give God no glory when we utter illogical nonsense. Yeah. It, it does, that doesn't glorify God. Um, and, and our aim is to give him glory. We serve a God that is rational, that is orderly, that, that is intellectual, that, that is an infinite mind, and if we're made in his image, though we have finite minds, we had better be able to, to reflect that at least a little bit. Now, if they're doing this, hammering out these doctrines, you have to also understand this was also one of the worst times and eras of persecution for the church, where they're being stoned to death, uh, uh, crucified, crucified upside down, boiled alive, burned at the stake. And yet one of their greatest concerns was is what we believe true? Is it biblical and is it logical? Is it rational? And yet they're being persecuted. Now fast forward with me about 2,000 years later, and let's look at the church today. What's our greatest concern? We're not being persecuted. We're not being fed to lions. We're not being stoned. We're not, we're not being crucified. And what's our greatest concern? Are the church views comfortable? Did the pastor wear the right suit and tie? Did he, did he preach from the right uh, passage? Was, did they sing the right songs? And, and, and I mean, I can go on and forgive me for sounding like a grumpy old man here. But <laughs> if we're going to fulfill the greatest commandment, then it not only encompasses loving God emotionally, not only encompasses loving God with our strength and servitude, but it has to and does encompass loving God intellectually with the mind. So whether you're lifting your hands or lifting up a book, you are fulfilling the greatest commandment in loving God with, with all your whole being, your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen. And uh, for those who are ju just tuning in, this is Eric Hernandez that we're talking with. And you can get more information at erichernandezministries.com. You can find him on YouTube, Eric Hernandez, easy enough. And check all of the ways that you can hear all these things that are really, really important. And I remember you had already mentioned J.P. Moreland earlier on in the broadcast as well. And I remember as a new believer, because um, the Good Fight Ministries um, president and founder is also the pastor here at Blessed Hope Chapel at our church, and he was in, he engages in apologetics every Sunday. I mean, that's he can't get through his messages without wow. it. And so when he would 
express other, hey, there's this apologetics conference and tell me about them. I was like, yeah, let's let's go. So early on in my faith, I came out of atheism and early on in my faith, I heard a conference here locally down in Ventura. I think it was Craig Hazen. It was uh, William and Craig and then J.P. Moreland. And I remember J.P. Moreland's entire message was exactly what, what you're expressing here. And it's loving God with all your mind as well as all the other aspects as, as well. And as somebody who's been involved in youth ministry, leading the youth group here for uh, almost a decade now, one of my biggest issues has always been, guys, we need to recognize quite clearly that these kids aren't as dumb as you think they are. They are going to class, right. uh, you know, especially yeah. in the high school level. It's like they're in geometry and trigonometry and so forth. But you know what? Let's make sure we only get to the basics here. Let's not get too intellectual with them. And I'm like, there are plenty of people getting intellectual with them. And that's one of the reasons to have yeah. Eric Hernandez on the show is to talk about these things. And I, I find them... It just extremely important. And also, if you may be pushing apologetics to the side, oh, I just do theology. Guys, that's almost, that's an impossibility to do theology right. without the apologetics. So it's good to hear all this. And hopefully you guys are being encouraged by this. And I'll, I'll switch subjects a little bit on you. I, I think we got about 20 minutes well, left. Is that yeah. right, Tony? Yeah. And, um, and do, I, do you mind I, if I say something oh, after yeah, yeah. that? No, yeah, of course. Uh, um, it, so, so, and I'm glad you said that. I had someone once tell me, well, you know, you don't want to go too deep because then people drown. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's why you teach them how to swim, right? You, you don't <laughs> avoid the deep. You just teach them how to swim. Uh, and that's, that's part of what, what this encompasses because, like I said earlier, students have questions. And if they're not asking you, they're asking someone else. Mm. And chances are they're not getting the right answers. And the most the, the saddening thing about all of this is that look back at my testimony. God didn't use a, a, a Christian pastor or a minister or, or uh, you know, a, a brother or sister in Christ uh, in my youth group to, to get me to where I'm at. Well, there were, there were certainly influences there. Don't hear me saying something I'm not saying. But what put me on this path was an atheist philosophy professor. Because it, even if God wanted to use a Christian to put me on this path, he couldn't because there were none in my life who engaged in this way. Mm. And, and how sad is it that the only person to use in this way is an atheist because there were no Christians available to do that. The Bible says that if you don't worship me, the rocks will cry out. And I see my philosophy professor as a rock that God used to cry out. <laughs> amen, amen. And, and, you know, that's a, a great segue there with the the rock uh, because we're going to be talking a little bit more because, you know what, you don't just deal also in apologetics. You do dabble not only in theology but also obviously in philosophy. And one of the things you did on a recent uh, broadcast that I had watched on Soteriology 101 with Dr. Layton Flowers, you guys were discussing, and I don't want to get too deep into that portion of it, just more your, your philosophical argument here, but you guys were discussing James White responding to Seth Dillon of the Babylon Bee retweeting an image made by Dr. Layton Flowers concerning the atonement and God and and whether or not God died for all and showed mercy to all. And one of the things, you know, James White came against it and said, you have no concept of the holiness of God. And I thought you did a great job showing how ridiculous that was. So did Leighton. And, you know, I was hoping on this show you got a little more time to talk. I know he talked for about 17 minutes before he let you on there. So we're trying to give you as much time as possible on this one. But he does he does a great job. But uh, I was looking at that and I said, wow, you did a good job explaining philosophically, because we can talk theology as well, but 
philosophically the argument for free will. And so I'd love for you to kind of just espouse that a little bit, maybe for our audience. What would be the argument philosophically for a free will or LFW, libertarian free will uh, worldview concerning the, the believer? Yeah, yeah, it's a great, great question. And, and I like, you know, I, I think in order to do proper theology, you have to have good philosophy because any false doctrine or, or uh, any wrong theology is going to have its root in bad philosophy. Here's a quick example. I had one person once say, tell me, oh, well, when I read the Bible and I study, I, I, don't, I don't do philosophy. You know, I, I, just, I just, you know, need Jesus or whatever. And I said, really? And they said, yeah. I said, that, that's a really interesting uh, philosophical starting point you've got there that, that you don't need philosophy. That's, uh, <laughs> that itself is a, obviously a philosophical position, namely that you don't need philosophy when studying theology. <clears throat> yeah. So going back to, back to this, it's, it's important, like I said, just holistically, it, all of this encompasses uh, uh, philosophy because when we're talking about God, we're talking about a, 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 an entity that is just incredibly, you know, beyond uh, what we can fathom <clears throat> now oftentimes the argument is that if you know god knows the future then we how can we have free will which interestingly was even one of the questions i wrestled with growing up um and again you know didn't find answers to so i just had to roll up my sleeves and start looking for myself but but there, there's a lot to say here but to be brief first of all there is no incompatibility between god knowing the future and us having free will or not <clears throat> because knowing knowledge doesn't cause things to happen uh, for example i know that the sun will rise tomorrow now someone could say well no you don't and that'd be a whole other discussion but i i'm going to say yes i do and since they're not here to to, to argue back i win um but <laughs> you know let's let's take something simpler like uh, i know tomorrow will be let's say let's say tomorrow saturday um let's say i say i know tomorrow saturday does my knowledge that tomorrow's Saturday somehow create Saturdays in existence? Does it somehow make it the case that it's Saturday? No. So my knowledge is not causative in that sense. Um, now, what about free will, though? <clears throat> that, again, lots to say, but, but to try and keep it brief, the, the, uh, you mentioned libertarian free will, which is what we would hold to, which is basically the view that I am the originator or source of my will or actions. If I lift my arm and I'm the one that caused that action to occur, then I was the first mover. And you can say, for that instance, I had free will. But if you tased me and that caused my arm to jump up, then I was not the source of that movement, but rather I was caused to move and act by something external and prior to myself. So I think libertarian free will is essential for for a lot of what we see in scripture and i think it's even presupposed in scripture <clears throat> because for example i i've had i've had non-believers uh, uh you know i've had atheists say well i don't believe in free will and i said really and they say yeah and my question is simply did you freely come to believe that believe it or not i've had atheists say yes i did freely come to believe that and i said really wow so you freely came to the belief that there is no free will and that's fascinating because see Interestingly, they, if there's no soul, then you're nothing more than a purely physical object. Uh, I don't put a dollar in a Coke machine and find that it chooses to sing me a song instead of give me a Coke. It is a purely physical object that is caused to act by the laws of chemistry and physics. It doesn't have a, 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 a choice in the matter. It is causally determined by the inputs and outputs of the physical mechanics. 
Now, someone might say, yeah, but it's not conscious. Okay, give it consciousness, nothing changes. Um, <clears throat> now, if there's no soul, then you're just a Coke machine. Let's just simplify it that way. But the, the irony is, not all, but most atheists like to identify themselves as free thinkers. And it's kind of a pejorative statement. It's kind of a a, a, a jab at, at Christians and believers because they're essentially implying that I am not brainwashed like you are by this religious mindset. I'm not – I think for myself. I am free to think for myself, hence I am a free thinker. Yet if there's no soul, if there's no God, there's no soul – then there's no free will. And if there's no free will, then the last thing you can call yourself is literally a free thinker. Um, now, here's, here's a, a, an argument to consider. <clears throat> to use an illustration, Aristotle said, if I move a rock with my staff, then my staff move the rock, my hand move the staff, but what move me? So here he's presenting a causal chain of events, you know, like think of like dominoes falling. Now, remember I said that in order to have libertarian free will, which I'll just from now on call free will, then you're going to have to be the source and originator of that will or action. Well, if the rocks move by the staff and the staff's move by my hand, then obviously the question is what moved me? Now, if the atheist wants to maintain free will and say that we do have free will, then they're going to have to say that whatever caused the hand to cause the staff to cause a rock had to originate and start within the person themselves. Um, it's kind of like, uh, think of a murder. If someone murdered someone by shooting them in the heart, although it was the bullet that penetrated the heart, we don't blame the bullet, even though that was the direct cause of the death. So let's move back one step. Where did the bullet come from? Well, it was shot by the gun. Well, again, we don't blame the gun because we don't believe that the gun acted on its own, just like the bullet didn't act on its own. So let's move back one more step and we come to the person pulling the trigger and we say that's the person responsible. Because what we're implicitly saying is that they are the first mover in this causal chain of events that led to the death of this person. However, if you are not the – if there's no free will, then you're not the source and originator of this causal chain of events. But much like the gun and bullet, you too were caused to act by something prior and external to yourself, which means if we don't blame the gun or bullet and hold it accountable for the death or murder, then if there's no free will, neither can we blame the person who pulled the trigger. Now, let's go back to the rock and staff example. <clears throat> if the atheist wants to say that we do have free will, then they're going to have to point to something physical that originated within them. Now, usually they'll say, well, a brain firing caused my hand to move, that caused the staff to move, that caused the rock to move. So there you go. It started with me. Dust my hands off. We have free will. And I say, but hold on, not so fast. Because if atheism's true, then the universe is a closed system, and the law of causal closure would be true, which is a law that states that every physical event is going to necessarily have a prior physical cause. So if you want to posit a brain firing, which I would agree, sure, the brain firing did make the finger move, but then the question is obviously what made that brain firing fire? Now, here's the dilemma that they come to. At this point, there's only two options. The first option is to say, well, another brain firing called that, caused that other brain firing to fire that caused a hand, that caused a staff, that caused a rock. But as you can see, I'm sure that this only pushes back the goalpost because the same problem arises, namely, what caused that brain firing to fire that made the other brain firing fire to cause a hand, staff, rock. Now, obviously, this can't keep happening. Otherwise, you'll lead, lead into an infinite regress and the action would never occur. 
But given that the action did occur, this goes to the second option, is that at some point, no matter how many brain firings you want to posit, at some point you're going to have to point to something beyond the person and say that this thing that was external to the person caused the brain firing to fire that caused the hand to move, that caused the staff to move, that caused the rock to move. But now the person is no longer the source or originator of this causal chain of events, but instead are intermediate movers in this chain. Think of a line of cars. If you have nine cars lined up, let's say they're all white, except for the middle one. Let's say the fifth one is blue. And then you have a 10th car going 100 miles an hour and hits the, the first car. It's going to cause a chain of events. Now, we can look at this and say the blue car hit and damaged the sixth car, yet your insurance company is going to tell you the blue car wasn't responsible for the damage. Instead, it was the car that was running and hit the other cars and caused the cars to kind of have this bumper effect and hit the others, which, again, I think shows us that we intuitively know that it is always the first mover in the chain of events that is responsible for whatever happens. Now, again, if there's no God and there's no soul, then you cannot be the first mover. Now, some atheists don't have a problem with that, and they'll say, well, okay, I just I don't believe we have free will. And I think that is the rational position for the atheist to take. But then it leads into other issues. <clears throat> I'll just name uh, two. One is that you're not going to have moral responsibility, and you're not going to be able to count for rational responsibility or intellectual integrity. Let's go with the first. Moral responsibility. The reason we don't arrest the gunner bullet, again, is because they weren't the first movers. We arrest the person. But if there's no free will, then how can you hold someone morally accountable for what they were causally determined to do and they had no free will to do otherwise? If a rock or a boulder falls from a mountain and kills a hiker, we don't blame the rock because it was just obeying the laws of gravity and, and you know whatever else happened. Well, to oversimplify it, that would be the same thing with the brain firings in our brains, where they're just caused by other things happening and firing off. The second thing is you would have to give up intellectual integrity. And here's, I think, tends to get the attention more than the moral thing. And that's because all the atheists that I've talked to, uh, uh, and I don't mean this necessarily in a negative way, although it can be, take a sense of pride in being atheists because they see themselves, for the most part, again, not all, as having overcome, especially if they're born in, in, in a Christian home, having overcome this religious mentality, and, and they are, quote, free thinkers because they've learned to look at the evidence and follow the evidence where it leads and come to their own rational conclusion. But time out, rationality requires the ability to look at the evidence freely and assess the value in it and rationality of it and then freely come to their own conclusion. However, if there is no free will, then your beliefs are no more rational than the religious nut who's uh, you know, yelling on the street corner with a sign saying that the end is near. Neither one of you, if there is no free will, neither one of you came to your beliefs on the basis of rational conclusions, but instead came to those beliefs on the basis of causal determinations and brain firings that happened within your brain, and you can't even verify whether or not your beliefs are true. Now, atheists will say, but yes, I can. I can test my beliefs. And I say, ah, okay, so you're telling me that you are determined to believe what you do, but you can test these determined beliefs and see if they're true. And they'll say, yeah, of course. And I say, but wait a minute. If all your beliefs are causally determined, then would not your belief about your beliefs be causally determined? And now we're back to the same problem. In other words, you would have to essentially say, 
that I am causally determined to believe that my causally determined beliefs are true in the first place. But again, you're just pushing back the goalposts. Uh, it, it doesn't answer the question. So here's the dilemma. If the atheist wants to say that I have become an atheist on the basis of freely and rationally analyzing the evidence and freely coming to my own conclusion, then atheism, and if that's the case, then it must follow that atheism has to be false, given that you can't have free will on atheism. However, if they want to maintain their atheism, then they cannot claim that they came to be an atheist on the basis of rationally and freely looking at the evidence and coming to their own conclusion. So if atheism is true, then they can't say that their beliefs are rationally justified on the basis of freely looking at the evidence. But if they want to believe that they did come to be an atheist on the basis of freely looking at the evidence, then they're going to have to believe that atheism is false, ironically. <laughs> Well, this is just excellent. And I really hope you guys have benefited from these two shows we've done here with Eric Hernandez. And once again, I just want to give a, a shout out to him and some of the websites you can go to to check out more stuff. EricHernandezMinistries.com. That's with a Z, by the way. I don't think I specified earlier. It's Eric Hernandez with a Z. Uh, you can go to Facebook. You can find him on there, Eric Hernandez Ministries. YouTube.com slash Eric Hernandez with a Z and at E-H-M underscore apologetics. You can check him out. And guys, be encouraged. These these are hopefully great episodes for your parents. They're hopefully great episodes for young younger people as well. And also for just anybody looking at these things and wanting to share the gospel on the streets because that's what we're all about. This has been Chad Davidson, Eric Hernandez, and Tony over there at the Good Fight Radio Show. God bless. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.